Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Let me know when we're live, Siege. Okay. All right, go for it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever the heck in the world you are. It's the one and only V, the Gorilla Economist, coming to you live. And we have with us our special guest. He needs no introduction. If you don't know who he is, your head has been in a rock or it's fir- or shoved firmly up your rectum. It's one of those two things, folks. has to be one of those two things. We're talking about none other than the man himself, Dr. Jim Willie. And, folks, if you haven't went to his website, thegoldenjackass.com, that's goldenjackass.com, if you haven't signed up to the hat trick letter, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to tell you, okay? Because here's the deal. The hat trick letter, folks, it is the insider play-by-play of what's going on geopolitically, geoeconomically, geostrategically, invaluable information, absolutely critical. The -the behind-the-scenes play-by-play, I mean, we here at Rogue Money are huge fans of Jim Willie and his work. So, folks, again, check out his website, goldenjackass.com. And without further ado, because there's so many things to cover, Dr. Willie, how are you, sir? I'm doing very strange. Thank you very much. <clears throat> you left out geosocial. Geosocial. <laughs> well, you know, the era of human garbage and all the NGO <laughs> in, incitement for civil war. That's all geosocial. <clears throat> yes, absolutely, man. It's, oh, man. Uh, it's crazy what's going on. I'd like to just say that today is uh, May 30th. So that those who do the copying and plagiarism to, you know, uh, sneak off with repeats of this interview and at a later date, today is May 30th. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jim, what do you want to cover first? And what, what yarn do you want to pull? Well, I like the general theme that I started describing about two or three years ago, maybe as far back as 2014 with Ukraine and and the war that the United States uh, and Israel began by executing the coup and blaming Russia. Um, It's the U.S. isolation. Uh, It seems like, and I made a list for some clients and some friends who were, involved in a a circle of conversation uh, of about 20 different foreign policies that have been in place since 9-11, since the fascist neocons took control by their inside job and bank heist of the World Trade Center Bank, which, by the way, was the largest private bank in the world at the time, which never is mentioned in the press. Uh, The U.S. isolation is coming as a result of a long, long string of foreign policy errors. I can't point to a single foreign policy initiative or action that has been successful. It's all resulted in blowback. It's all resulted in anti-dollar positioning by the East. It's all resulting lately in Europe thumbing their nose at the United States saying, who the hell are you trying to run our country? 
I mean, when the United States did something, there are two enormous events that have happened toward isolation just in the last few months regarding Europe. And that is the first one where the United States government said to Germany, we're going to sanction your construction and finance companies involved with Nord Stream 2. And the Germans said, who the hell are you? This is our country. This is our industry we're trying to supply with with the low-cost natural gas. No, we're not interested in your U.S.-based natural gas that costs more than twice as much. The second big event was the backing out of the Iran nuclear deal, which, you know, JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan on, oh gosh, the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, that was, to be sure, a scummy deal. And to be sure, had massive payoffs between the Obama gang, Bush, Clinton gang, and the European elite gang. Lots of dirty money changed hands. And uh, what was it, something like $300 billion the United States has to give back to Iran? And, and you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, speculation as to why the United States had to have a, an airlifted, several pallet full of cash shrink-wrapped delivered to Iran. It's because we stole their money that we froze in bank accounts and we couldn't pay it back so we had to give them back cash and I'm sure it's all narco money from the Afghan Langley heroin business. Okay, so there's some dirty element to the Iran nuclear deal that Obama executed and Trump didn't like any of it but by backing out of the deal He's forcing the Europeans to side with China, Russia, and Iran because there are lots and lots of different contracts that European firms do not want to abandon after Iran is complying with an international treaty sanctioned by the United, Sta United Nations Security Council plus one. They call it UN, UN plus one to, to include Germany. Germany should be in the United Nations Security Council. Simple as that. Uh, maybe boot boot out England and put in Germany? How'd that be? Is that a good idea? What do you think, V? <clears throat> I think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't see how England has contributed much to uh, the world economy or to the world financial structure in a positive way in a generation. No, uh, they have. They've invented all the most heinous ways uh, in the last 150 so years. Uh, to, fr to, to basically defraud the entire planet. Yeah, and to bring it to war. So the, the U.S. isolation has advanced just from these two actions of trying to criminalize the Nord Stream 2 German project with Russia and backing out of the Iran nuclear deal, which the Europeans signed on, and you, know, you do have little events like uh, French Total, an energy company, backing out and CNPC from China, uh, their big state-owned energy company. Okay, French Total backed out, China Energy moved in for their Iranian operations. Okay, but I don't think, uh, I don't think the Spanish Repsol is going to back out. I don't think about 18... The 20 other European firms are going to back out of their operations and trade with Iran. They were anxious to get 
Iran back on track. They were anxious to see a treaty. They were anxious to end the sanctions. So it was a comprehensive plan. Germany was in there brokering the deal. And they're not going to abandon it just because Trump doesn't like some scummy elements that he found with the narco boys, Clinton, Bush, Obama. I mean, we have to seriously start looking in the United States at the narco lineage of presidents. Papa Bush, Bill Clinton, baby Bush, and Obama. They all have narcotics as their link. It's their lineage. I call it the narcotics president lineage. They've wrecked our country. We need to start removing their effects. But you're talking about over 20 years, like 25 years or more of judicial appointments, of military uh, forced resignations, of senator kickbacks put in place, of Supreme Court uh, bribery. Oh, my gosh. And even a Supreme Court murder with Scalia. He was a pedophile. He was running the pedophile rings, and he got too ambitious, forcing too large a bribery. So they killed him. I mean, he even, the coroner said, you know, we found him with a pillow over his head, but, you know, we think it was a natural cause. I mean, come on, you can't make this crap up. Oh, gosh, speaking of making crap up, uh, Tesla just had an autopilot vehicle crash into a Laguna, <laughs> California police car. Uh, I'm surprised it didn't burst in flames upon impact, Jim. <laughs> you can't make this up. So, <laughs> Tesla is synonymous with everything that's gone wrong in America. It, 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 it's such a perfect analogy of what's wrong. Well, it is. Okay, but my point was the isolation. And, and, you know, if, if you look farther, I, I just pointed out the U.S. versus Europe, okay? Now, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> bring in the the Shanghai gold, oil, and yuan, I call it RMB, gold, oil, RMB contracts, the, tri the triangle. And now you have the financial mechanism out of China, built in Shanghai, stress-tested to the hilt, that's growing tenfold in volume in the last month and a half. Oh my gosh, this is big. So this is the dagger in the heart of the petrodollar. Okay, that is going to bring about more isolation because as we push Iran into using this petro-yuan contract out of Shanghai, other Eastern nations are going to start using it a lot more. I'm looking to see when Japan signs up for an oil shipment from the Arab Gulf region and pays for it using the Chinese yuan contract for oil. I'm looking for a big event like that, V, because it's coming. The no-brainer is that China will be using this contract to pay for Saudi oil in RMB. That's the no-brainer. I mean, you don't need any intelligence to see it, but by the way, 90% of uh, you know the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and Washington Post readers don't see it yet. They just don't see it because they've been fed 
the BS narrative that goes on and on and on. They're being told that the Shanghai oil contract is kind of a you know irrelevant sideshow. Well, yep. really, wait till it has more volume than the Brent oil contract. Yep. Okay, so we got a lot of stuff going on. This U.S. isolation, I mean, it, it extends. In, in, I'm I'm serious. It has ten different elements. Yeah. Uh, you you've got disgust over the U.S. participation with ISIS funneling uh, narco money through the Saudis, U.S. weapons through the Saudis into ISIS hands. ISIS even has a, you know, very clear evidence that they're using American supplies because there's a Texas plumbing company sign on one of its little trucks mounted with automatic machine gun in the back. Texas plumbing. Right. They're, they're using U.S.-based sourcing of pickup trucks. Yep. I mean, you got generals and captains on the field who are being captured, who are Israeli military. I mean, when are the Americans going to wake up that ISIS is our creation to increase chaos? Mm -hmm. uh, but we're using the Saudis. The Saudis are now becoming isolated, as we are in the West, the United States. The Saudis are being isolated even among their own Arab neighbors, yeah, Qatar. Are. Is now doing like a, oh gosh, it's like a boycott or sanction. I prefer the word boycott. They're just blocking anything that's Saudi. Oh my gosh. Hey, speaking of Qatar, uh, they've got a rather big investment, V, in uh, <coughs> Deutsche Bank. Mm -hmm. And I have it on good word that they were given extremely competent advice two, three, four years ago. Do not invest in Deutsche Bank. And being the arrogant uh, Arabs with their turbans, they knew better. So they invested in Volkswagen. They invested in Deutsche Bank. And now they're going to take a hot poker up their ass. <laughs> they certainly are. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but last time I had a hot poker up my ass, I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I found it to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be a hot poker. The last time somebody put even like a not too sharp stick up my ass, I didn't like it. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So <laughs> Qatar is in for trouble. They're in for something like a three, four, five billion dollars sudden loss right mm -hmm. now. I don't mean like soon. I mean it's happening in front of their eyes. Mm. One of the ugliest weird secrets about the Arab oil monarchies is that most of them are broke. After a generation of producing oil, they're broke. Now, I focus on UAE more than any other of the monarchies in the Gulf region. And here's a bit of my uh, summary analysis. Two years ago, I did a review of the sovereign wealth funds across the world, I, the top 20, and what countries own them. China has two, uh, SAFE, and there's another one with an acronym. I can't remember the, the, the letters, but the Chinese have something like uh, two trillion. But back then, UAE had two trillion. And I asked some, some very informed people who know the region well, including The Voice, 
what happened to the UAE two trillion? Because I'm hearing over and over again, UAE is broke. What happened to two trillion in a mere three or four years? Well, I'll tell you what. The various royals, princes in the UAE from their city-states have been raiding their own sovereign fund and putting it in London and European banks. That's one. Secondly, the Arab region, Arab oil region, Gulf region, is just battered by the 50% decline in the oil price. And now it's not quite 50% based on, I mean, I mean what's pushing up the oil price? Well, we're, we're told that it's lower supply, but no, it's more like Wall Street banks and the Fed are buying oil contracts to bail out through the back door the Wall Street banks who have huge credit exposure to the energy industry, primarily shale. Oy, oy, oy. Okay, so <clears throat> the UAE is suffering from a lower oil price. The UAE sovereign funds are suffering from raids by the princes who are putting the money elsewhere outside the country, safe places. The UAE has been involved with enormous costs in the Yemen war, the filthy war crime center, where U.S. experimental weapons like phosphorus bombs are being used on civilian centers to, to burn them to death. Never in the New York Times. But there's, there's more. There's more. They, they, they've got depleted, uh, not all of them, but some depleted oil wells. It's not just the price of oil is going down. Their volume is going down. And as a result, UAE is involved with a number of different practices. That's, you know, this, is, this made news a year, a year and a half ago. They're, they're using some of the Western accounting firms to falsify documents, to freeze bank accounts of Westerners, claim they're involved in fraud, criminal activity, and then they're seizing accounts. They're seizing accounts on false grounds, on manufactured, fabricated evidence. Okay, so my point is the Arab oil monarchies are broke. They're going to be looking for a new protector and for new lifelines, and they're going to find it with Russia and China. The United States' influence in the Arab Gulf region is going to decline very rapidly. This is exciting. I mean, I wish it weren't so darn dangerous. Oh, boy, this is so dangerous because as the U.S. gets isolated more and more, they're going to have to come up with a, an independent, newly launched currency. And it's not going to go over well. It's going to be fraudulent-based, fake gold and Fort Knox. But, but Jim, we, we, we have deep storage gold, Jim. Deep storage. <clears throat> I had a, a, a relatively smart... <clears throat> friend tell me a week ago, Jim, I'm hearing that there is a vault of gold under the Grand Canyon in Arizona. And I yeah. said, no, no, it, it's more like deep storage gold that's unmined from, you know, big plateau deposits at the Grand Canyon that may never be mined because it's a national treasure. But if we lose the Grand Canyon as collateral on a debt default, all Ooh. bets are off. Wow. There's something that a lot of people did not consider right there. Wow.
Well, you know, here's another fact about the Grand Canyon. I heard this from a fellow who is from that area. He, he's from uh, he's from West Texas. He knows the area well. He said, Jim, they've been extending the boundaries of the National Park for the Grand Canyon for the last 20 years. Okay, suddenly there's another 20 square miles. It's called the Grand Canyon Zone. Hmm. Wow. Well, I said, why is that? And he said, well, they make another discovery of gold, and they extend the park so the federal government owns it. Wow. I said, well, where's that leading? And he said, well, I, I think eventually they might mine it, but they won't mine the, the jewel in the center of the Grand Canyon. They'll mine the periphery. I said, okay, then will they mine, like, under the Grand Canyon, like, like you know, 300 meters below the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. and just do lateral drilling and he said well anything's possible and that's when i brought up the point that if it's used as collateral for say a gold lease that we renege on or say treasury bonds that we you know extend in a special deal emergency package to an eastern nation all bets are off and he said you're right you're right we may lose the grand canyon i said we may use we may lose yosemite we may lose California, we may lose a lot. Alaska. Alaska. Yeah. I think we've already lost Alaska, V, and I'll tell I you how I put this together. Um, mm. the, voice, the Voice knows some Russian history. The Voice knows a lot of deals that have been struck, and he's analyzed the, the, the Russian deal with the Seward icebox, the you know, yeah. purchase of Alaska. And it, it's not a purchase. It's a lease, and it's expired. And I noticed that shortly after what he called to be the expiration date, just a couple of years ago, we now have a $200-plus billion energy deal with the U.S. and China to develop the vast untapped energy deposits of Alaska. Well, you know, you can say that China is involved in in the the funding and, and exploration side, but I think it's a cover because Russia will be. And China will be the customer. Mm. The Chinese are not great at drilling. They're not great in the energy business. They've got some experience in recent years. The Russians have a generation. The Chinese have 10 years. The Russians have 50. Okay, it's kind of simple. The Russians even have experience in the Arctic. Do the Chinese? No. Nope. The Russians have experience in cold weather like what Alaska has and the Prudhoe uh, region with the energy deposits of Alaska, it's in the north. Okay, it's it's going to be developed by Russia. And you know, here's a funny little fact that just happened a few weeks ago. Rex Tillerson, former CEO of Exxon Mobil, was a very odd choice for Secretary of State because he doesn't know jack shit about diplomacy. He only knows about deal cutting with corporations. He resigned as Secretary of State under, you know, a lot of weird clouds, and I don't want to get into all that regarding Syria, blah, blah, blah. But he resigned at State Department head, and it wasn't two weeks later that Exxon signed a deal with Russia to develop Arctic oil deposits, 100% contrary to the Russian sanctions. And now hmm. at the St. Pete Forum, Economic Forum, you know, you can talk about Davos being 
the, uh, the Swiss-based economic forum, but that's more like a central bank barbecue. And I'm right. sure that if you look in the basement, you'll see some young kids being killed, <laughs> uh, you know, pedophile crap. Uh, just take I – mean, I, I may sound crazy, but this is what those bankers do. Absolutely. 1,000% okay. correct. France just signed like a $20 billion package of deals with Russia at the St. Pete Forum. 100% in contrary to the Russian sanctions. So now you have Germany with Nord Stream, France with $20 billion in the St. Pete Economic Forum deals, and a number of European countries saying, no, we're going to continue with Iran. And wherever Iran is involved, you're going to see Russia and China. So it's like a one big happy family. You're seeing now a third leg of the stool come into place, Iran, Russia, China, for the Eurasian trade zone. <clears throat> but back back to this, this point of U.S. isolation, we're, we're doing all the wrong things to keep the global community of nations in the dollar camp. I call it the dollar sphere. I, I've been making a point for the last year or more, V, that we're heading toward a dual universe of the dollar sphere and the RMB sphere. Yeah. And you're seeing tremendous growth in the RMB sphere much faster than the naysayers of Wall Street were saying in the last few months. Like, oh gosh, it's just a, a Shanghai sideshow. Well, wait till that oil contract in Shanghai has more volume than the Brent. And Brent is only going to go down, down, down because the North Sea output is so low compared to 25 years ago. It's almost funny. The Norwegians and the British are now in a mild panic on reduced North Sea output. These are exciting times. I just wish they weren't so dangerous. Very dangerous. <clears throat> Jim, real quick, on a quick little segue, since we're talking about the Middle East, we're talking about oil, the mysterious MBS... What is your take? What has gone on? I mean, April 24th, we heard the gunfire in the palace. Is he dead? Is he alive? Is his Instagram profile been updated? What's your take? This is a, a very gnarly story. Uh, when I first read the headline back at the end of April, I thought, oh, my gosh, there it is, the palace coup. I didn't read any of the details. Yeah. I just read the headline. Sometimes the headline tells more than the details of the story because they're filled with lies. Uh, if it's a Western, you know, press wire story, my general feeling is two-thirds of it is a lie. Uh, so it, it's more like, let me read that to see where the lie is. Okay, that's a lie, that's a lie. That could be true, that's a lie, that's a lie. And, and you just go on and on and on with the lies. Um, and, you know, you could write a book about all the lies just in the last year. Okay, so I thought it was a palace coup, V. I really did, a palace coup. And uh, I didn't have much of anything to draw on except my own analysis from the last year or more, followed by motive. And it was the arrest of royals and business leaders in Saudi Arabia, putting them up in the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh, you know, it's house arrest, luxurious house arrest, but not very comfortable beds. You know, a mattress on the floor in a you know, luxurious ballroom. 
You gotta love it. Okay, so he arrested a hundred different influential royals and business people, and he tried to extract money from them. It was more like, well, you know, if you give me thirty percent of your wealth, we'll drop all the charges. You can, you can, you know, just stop doing the fraud, milking the system, you know, tapping the royal treasury engaging in your fraud and what they did not put in that engaging in the narco trafficking with the Bush family through Bandar Bush okay they tried to extract 35 percent of their wealth they only got it from a handful I don't think they got much of anything from Al Walid he's boasting that he didn't give anything over <clears throat> then there was this attempt on Prince Salman in Las Vegas that was an assassination attempt with smokescreen of killing a lot of U.S. citizens at a concert. So good diversion, well done. But I think Prince Salman is not dead. Ben Fulford is saying Salman was killed. I don't think the prince was killed. There was a funeral event for Prince Salman, but then there was a public event just a week or so later, a conference with foreign dignitaries to sign economic trade deals where Prince Salman was sitting at the head of the table. So we got a lot of confusing stuff, confusing evidence, confusing elements. And, and you know, I asked a, a very smart, connected friend to the Middle East, what do you, what's your take on that? And he said, you know, sometimes if you present a story that you're dead, you freeze your enemies. You force them to take a different action. They, they pause and instead of continuing in their attacks, they're investigating whether they were successful. It's, it's kind of like, you know, a corollary to keep your enemies close. Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. That's the saying. In this case, it's pretend you're dead and then watch to see the reaction out there. Look to see who's celebrating in the street, like, you know, after 9-11, the, the uh, Israeli citizens celebrating in the street, stuff like that. Yeah. Look to yeah. see the reactions. But uh, now it's becoming kind of clear that Fulford is not correct, that Salman is still alive. But I think he's made some very powerful enemies with his attempt to arrest and shake down. Yep. <clears throat> I mean, you can call it whatever you want, arrest and, you know, making a, a settlement, a legal settlement. That's a nice word for bribe. Bribe mm -hmm. your way back to freedom. Uh, Prince Al-Walid, I don't think, is done trying to unseat Salman. <clears throat> so if you're looking to see, oh gosh, and the, the official story, I, I, I give this like 20% probability of, of credibility. Um, the official story was there were some rogue robot drones flying in the area of the king's palace, and they were shot down. Yeah, I, I read that one, yeah. Okay, when I read that, my first reaction was, my gosh, that's just one of the stupidest stories I've ever heard. Uh, and if so, was it Langley who was doing it? Because Langley is the champion of the drones. Right. Langley has the best technology for, for drones, although that may be changing soon. So was Langley doing a, a monitor of the king's palace to see what was going on? And maybe Salman decided, I don't like that. Let's shoot him down. And then things got out of control. And 
in, in comes 20 soldiers and the press are watching all this and it gets out of out of control for the reporting side. I don't know, but Prince Salman has a rather distinguished face that's kind of recognizable even by Westerners who might think all Arabs look alike. Right. I have a joke here in Costa Rica. I, I say, do, do you remember that fellow? I, I ask a certain native, do you remember that, that fellow who was with me? And he, and he said, no. I said, yeah, I know. We gringos all look alike. <laughs> and they say, yeah, you do. You, you all look alike. And we, we laugh. And I say, well, you Latinos all look alike. <laughs> okay, so what do I think? I think Salman's still alive. Um, I think he bought some time. He isolated his enemies, he identified who were celebrating, and he, he maybe took advantage of that situation, which was, I think, perhaps well executed. Now we get the string of conferences. Uh, I asked the voice, what do you think is going to happen with Saudi Arabia? Uh, I, I don't really think, I said, I don't really think that they're going to recover their oil revenue. I don't really think they're going to have the Aramco uh, stock deal take place. They might get some investment on the side, but those would be carpetbaggers coming in to infiltrate their society through their business and financial side. I said their, their Yemen war is still costly. They're still raiding their own sovereign wealth funds, moving the money outside the country. I, I think... I think Saudi Arabia is going to see another palace coup that was that will be more successful this time. And he said, Jim, it's really kind of simple. They're going to enter the meat grinder. And we didn't continue the conversation. He, he didn't say anything further. And, and I just have to conclude that the, the meat grinder is uh, financial instability and uh, severe ins insolvency and ruin of various platforms. When they abandon the petrodollar and start accepting uh, petro yuan, you know, RMB payments for oil, petro yuan, that's the phrase. When RMB payments start becoming more prevalent, even with non Chinese Asian clients, even with non Saudi oil producers in the Gulf, I made this call several months ago, V that Saudi Arabia is going to be targeted by Langley for terrorism. Yeah, you, you, you absolutely did. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, I mean, that move against Prince Talal, Al-Walid Al-Talal, the move against him uh, was a very dangerous move on, on some on MBS's part, especially the fact that Talal is so well-connected. Jim, about three years ago, uh, I think you, you, you've mentioned this. I've also spoken about it as well. You remember that whole entire situation in France, in Paris, where you've had a Saudi prince being carjacked. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, was, what we learned of it, and it, this was right after the death of uh, Total CEO uh, um, um, uh, president at that time, uh, Christophe de Margerie who was in Moscow when he was assassinated, when his plane conveniently hit a, a snowplow and burst into flames. Okay. That, and the, the Saudi prince being carjacked. And what, what we learned was there was uh, secret documents that were lifted. There were over $300,000 in euros in cash taken. It was a crack special, uh, special ops team that did the, the, that did the job. And rumor had it that Talal, 
was behind that the, that you know that whole thing and this is again right after the death of king faisal this was you know on the uh, on you know with with uh, the new uh, king salman coming online i think you mean abdullah going on. i think Say you mean king abdullah died yeah, abdullah right right king yeah. abdullah when he died right exactly uh, so I think MBS here has definitely, like well, exactly what you said, he has he has some powerful enemies now, and they and they they live like a religion for vengeance. It's part of the Arab culture. <clears throat> they don't say, well, you know, huh, bygones be bygones. We got a new day. Let's try to make the best of this. Uh, you know, we want to all get along and you know, build new bridges and have better relations and make make the next decade better for our children. That's not the Arab way. <clears throat> the Arab way is we're going to carve up his heart and eat it. Yeah. That's the Arab way. And if it means that we lose a significant portion of our wealth, it will be worth it because we will have eaten his heart. That's the Arab way. It, I mean, it's a vengeance-based society. And in the United States, at least in the past, it used to be a forgiveness-based society. Now it's more like a child ritual, kill, exploit, drugs and everything. <clears throat> that that's the center of the U.S. leadership culture now. Uh, we we've got we've got some very sick elements in the U.S. and Britain. I mean, even in Britain, there was an arrest and demonstration of a reporter who was reporting on uh, Arab gangs. I, yeah. I thought at first there was a demonstration on on a court case regarding Arab. Uh, I'm sorry, regarding pedophiles. Yeah, but child uh, grooming. Well, you have you have that too, though. So there are demonstrations yeah. and arrests. Uh, regarding British uh, Arab issues, Arab crimes, and pedophilia crimes by the elite. You got it all. But anyway, back to, to the Arabs. The, the Saudis are not done in taking action of vengeance against Salman. And furthermore, by targeting some narco elements in Saudi for those arrests and shakedowns, they've angered the Bush family. That's the connection. Bandar Bush is connected to the Saudis through Langley as a conduit for narcotics. Whenever these nations and monarchies have financial difficulties, narcotics comes into the picture to fill the financial gap. Right. And if you think this is isolated to non-American, non-Western <laughs> countries, no, you're wrong. It's true of Monaco. The Principality of Monaco also, major, major cocaine processing and narco-trafficking yep. in Monaco. There's a reason why a lot of elites meet there, especially during the Formula One races. <laughs> Serves as a wonderful distraction. That's when all the prostitutes are, are, are flowing in and copious amounts of cocaine is brought in. And, uh, and all diplomatic... Sorts of <clears throat> diplomatic immunity for I'm sure for many of them. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I always look the to the the sectors of our society that are immune from legal prosecution. Mm. And you have churches, you have charity organizations, 
you have international organizations like United Nations, and you have security agencies. That is a list of your narco and child traffickers. Yep, absolutely. The United Nations is deeply involved. I was amazed when I saw a movie about three or four years ago starring Rachel Weiss. It was about Eastern European uh, white woman trafficking. The United Nations was at the center. Yep. And I thought, why would they even allow a movie like that? And how does Rachel Weiss continue to get roles after that? Oops, she doesn't. <clears throat> Another one to watch for not getting any more movie roles, roles is uh, Nicole Kidman. She's yeah. come out publicly stating that Stanley Kubrick was murdered for his revelations of the New York City-based secret society's eyes wide shut. Correct. And uh, she said that uh, Kubrick was murdered by the people he was trying to expose while he was producing on the set the sequel to Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, wow. And I expect, this is a very dark and ugly thought, but I expect Nicole Kidman might meet with an unfortunate end soon, like with a traffic accident. Mm. Could involve a small plane. She, If she's smart, she'll never set foot in a small plane the rest of her life. Right. Small planes are the easy targets. What they do is they have a device that when there's a tilt forward, as in descending, when the tilt forward, a timer goes off and an explosion takes place. <coughs> Nicole Kidman is a very brave woman, but remember who was also a co-star in that movie was uh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, right? And he goes on and on and on like an Energizer bunny making fine movies that I enjoy watching. Yeah, the new Mission Impossible is coming out. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to see that. I mean, he's got a number of great movies that are yeah. didn't get a whole lot of acclaim. The, the one about uh, alien invasion in Europe, uh, where we were losing a war, and he was involved yeah. with a time sequence with Emily Blunt. It was a great yeah. movie. I actually enjoyed that one. It was uh, Live, Die, Repeat, I think it was called. Something like that, yeah. And then there was another movie he was involved called Oblivion. Loved uh, which it. Was, which was uh, futuristic and alien invasion, and they, they, they captured uh, Tom Cruise as, a, as a, uh, an astronaut pilot, and they cloned him a, a thousand yeah. times over, and he was yeah. all over the Earth, you know, killing humans, thinking that he was yeah. killing aliens. the contaminated... What do they call them? Scavengers. Scavengers, <clears throat> which was led by me, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Yeah, he's in just way too many <laughs> movies. I tell you, Morgan Freeman and uh, what's that? Sam Jackson. They're just in too many yep. movies. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, I like them. I do. Don't get me wrong. It's not a racist thing. I really like them. But you can't just have them in every single movie, one or the other. There's uh, a lot of uh, character equity that way. Yeah, you know, it's, it's anyways, it's okay. So. Back to the Saudis. Uh, they're going to have an Aramco deal. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Because they're broke. And Aramco is a state-owned company. It, it might not be worth, uh, definitely not, worth the $2,000 billion, as in $2 trillion. That's a joke. I, I've got a, 
a jackass colleague who's a financial analyst broker in a company in the West, just, just leave it at that, in a major company in the West whose name you'd recognize immediately. And he said to me, Jim, it's, it's amazing what's going on. The buzz all through our offices, all through my former friend offices in Europe, uh, all through everywhere I talk, it's that Aramco is worth something like three or four hundred billion dollars, maybe five hundred billion. And they're pawning it off as worth two thousand billion. So <clears throat> I made the point to him, well, they're not going to get past the discovery phase where brokerage houses will want full details before they recommend this stock in an IPO deal. And he said, exactly. It can't survive the discovery deal, the discovery phase, and it will not. Not in London, not in New York, and maybe not even in Hong Kong because they're competent there. So it, it may be brokered nowhere. Okay, just imagine JP Morgan uh, sponsors and, and underwrites the IPO in New York City. Two years later, it's determined that the Saudis were counting Yemen deposits as their own, whereas in Saudi land, they had huge depletion and lied about their reserves. You get a lawsuit by investors against JP Morgan. They don't want it. They've got enough lawsuits from, from subprime mortgage bonds and other fraud. They don't want a new fraud front. They've got enough. So London brokers, New York brokers, and I think Hong Kong brokers will stay away on this. So what's Saudi left with, V? <clears throat> I think they're left with private investor deals, private equity placements. Uh, they have lots of names, but I call them private equity deals done, done by large investing uh, institutions like the government of China. Now, here's how I think it'll play out. China will say, or the Saudis will say, we have a 10% investor with China. They're in investing 200 billion. It'll be in the form of treasury bonds, United States treasury bonds. And the 200 billion will give them a 10% stake. We're going to be moving forward with Vision 2025. We're going to be expanding into technology, telecommunications, maybe even pharmaceuticals. We're going to get some advanced, you know, broadband uh, IT for, you know, internet and communications peer-to-peer, -peer, whatever, <clears throat> and we're moving forward. Thanks very much. Welcome our new Chinese partner. But behind the scenes, it would be well known. It's just a $200 billion investment for a company that might be worth at most $500 billion, so the Chinese will be instantly almost a 50% owner. <clears throat> Publicly, they say 10% owner. Privately, it means China is on the verge of having control of Aramco. Now, here's another wrinkle to this that's fascinating. I was, I was just dumbfounded, V, two months ago or so when Russia announced they also are interested in a stake in Aramco. And I had two thoughts. Either China said, we don't want the full 200 billion, we want maybe a third of that to be Russian or half of that to be Russian because 200 billion is too much. That's possible. Or the Russians said, we're going to tack on another amount so that China and Russia will have 50% control or more. Whoa. Game changer. <laughs> Game changer if the second scenario is the actual case and we just don't know.
I think China doesn't want to go alone. Now, wouldn't it be fascinating if Iran says, we want peace with Saudi and we're going to invest something from our substantial gold reserves and hand it God, over to Saudi? God forbid that happens. And uh, what would that well, mean be, for the that'd U.S.? Be, that'd be yeah. advanced stage for peace in the Middle East. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And the I'm, CIA fraught proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia that's been that's been happening for the last several decades would, would cease to exist. Right. It would. And and I think the big opponents of that would be Langley itself. I, I honestly think, V, I, so, I am so convinced of this. The missile attacks that have been seen in Saudi towns, including Riyadh cities, I believe are not the result of the Houthis in Yemen, but are instead Langley doing it with Houthis watching at their side, learning how to do it. Training I missions. I agree. Training missions. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> this is going to sound incredible, but I, some of your listeners might remember I had a pretty severe bronchitis case May and June of last year. And uh, I got caught in the rain, actually, what happened. Twice on my bicycle got caught in the rain. Uh, it was the beginning of the rainy season and got caught off guard. And I, I, I got a very bad head cold, turned into a virus head cold, turned into bronchitis, and I couldn't shake it. I'm not blaming it on chemtrails or anything like that. I'm blaming it on a back-to-back getting caught in the rain with my bicycle and, you know, getting absolutely soaking wet, a little chilly. It's not cold rain, but, you know, it's, it's still, I'm still dealing with the residual effects of uh, a bit of mucus buildup <clears throat> in the throat. I, I like to say I'm 90% over this, but I, I still got some, you know, crud in the throat. <clears throat> when I talk a lot or when I exercise a lot, I have to clear my throat. Anyway, back to Russia. I think Russia is making a very big move to control the Saudi oil industry. And one piece is the, their proposed stake, the details of which we do not know, in the Saudi Aramco deal. <clears throat> I would like to see a nice big number like $300 billion combined Russia and China. Because that, I think, would be majority stake. But the Russians are doing something else. And I'd like to open up a, another you know, small area here. <clears throat> the Russians are filling the OPEC gap. There's a big void. Uh, you, you've got a complete turn of events. The per periphery of, of uh, OPEC, the non-Arab, like Venezuela, Angola, Nigeria, they're all defiant now. They're working out RMB oil sales deals. They're working out Russian uh, cooperative deals. Okay. But, and the core Arab OPEC element is trying to restrict output with a little bit of Russian influence. They want a higher oil price. It's not just the Wall Street banks for their insolvent and wrecked, uh, impaired uh, portfolio of energy sector loans, including shale, the Russians and Saudis want a higher oil price. 
Okay, so here's what the Russians are doing, and they're doing it not just with the Saudis, they're doing it with Venezuela, they're doing it with uh, Iran, and they're doing it, I'm hearing, it's starting it up with Mexico. Russia, even though the number one global oil producer is buying oil from that list of countries, they're buying Saudi oil, they're buying Iranian oil, they're buying Venezuela oil, and they're talking about buying Mexican oil. Why? Because Iran needs cash liquidity. And Russia can sell that oil, no problem. They'll just mix it, get the viscosity right, get the contaminant level right, mix it, and sell it on the world market. So they're doing Iran a favor by improving their liquidity in the face of U.S. sanctions. <clears throat> Why would they do it with Saudi? Because Saudi can then say, no, we sold oil to the Russians, and if it ended up being sold in non-dollar terms, it's not our fault. But the Russians are slowly, gradually, I think, inevitably taking control of the Saudi oil industry from policy, not from ownership. The ownership will come from the Chinese. The policy will come from the Russians. Yeah, I, I Mean, definitely see that. Meanwhile, Angola is already selling oil to China in yep. RMB. And they're packaging it in the form of uh, state loans by China into Angola for their government in the form of treasury bonds. Then they sell the oil to China and it all gets washed out. In other words, the Chinese are dumping treasury bonds and mixing it in with foreign aid. <laughs> the kill shot. Well, th this is part of the petrodollar undermining system. Correct. It's got many sides. And, you know, when the whole world is, is holding tremendous amounts of treasury bonds in their banking reserves, they're going to be looking for, how should I say, clever alternative methods for getting rid of them. Yeah. They're not just going to use it to buy gold bullion. They're going to use it to pay their bills. They're going to use it to pay big construction projects. I mean, I was amazed. I, I knew the Belt and Road, the Chinese initiative for huge construction projects. I knew it was big. And when a friend of mine, a colleague said, Jim, are you aware of the volume of the, the BRI, Belt and Road Initiative projects? I said, I believe it's over a trillion dollars. And he said, try eight trillion. Mm-hmm all of which in non-dollars, all developing the Asian and Eastern Hemisphere economy, while the West is involved in insolvency, fascist rooting, and war. Yep. We, we got negligence. I'm hearing clients tell me, Jim, I travel on a, a New York upstate interstate highway, and it's got potholes that have not been fixed in a year. Correct. The, the infrastructure in the United States is slowly transitioning to third world. Yep, and you and you go to you come to New York, you know, which is where I am, and you travel through any bridge, any tunnel, anywhere, and it's the same situation. They're all dilapidated. They're all rusting out. It takes them like f fifteen years to build a bridge that the Chinese could do in two months. It, it's ridiculous, man. <laughs> Oh, and the, the Russians have completed the major oil yep. pipeline in record time. It's now flowing gargantuan volume to supply China. And China's paying for the oil in U.S. Treasury bonds. <laughs> they paid for the construction 
in U.S. Treasury bonds. Russia's turning around, taking the money, going to Shanghai, converting it to gold, and using their Sverbank office in Beijing to ship it. Yep. We've already got oil for gold. It just has two steps. And it's happening in Shanghai. It's happening in Russia. The biggest purchasing relationship, bilateral, you know, two-nation relationship for buying and selling oil is Russia and China now. It used to be U.S. and Saudi. Watch China reduce slowly but surely their Saudi purchases until they get their way and force the Saudis to make a public announcement of selling oil to China in RMB terms. It'll be that or just a, a smash deal where China invests 10% in Aramco and part of the deal is, Aram, uh, is Saudi oil sales in RMB terms. And, and forcing it through Shanghai, forcing it through the, 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 the futures contract for Petro Yuan. And, and it's gonna just lift enormously the volume way past Brent so even the numbnut Wall Street analysts will have to talk about it. <clears throat> These are exciting developments, and I'll say it again. This is the third time. I wish it weren't so dangerous. <sighs> it's it, scary. It really is scary because I'll, I'll tell you where the fright comes. Mm. The fright comes in seeing interruptions for wire transfers that are dollar-based. There has to be more and more justification, red tape and delays and delays. I have a, a, a client in England who has business partners in Denmark and Netherlands, and he's saying, Jim, it's becoming insane crazy how difficult it is just to get dollar payments from my clients. And I said, wait, wait a minute. England to Denmark, England to Netherlands, difficulty in dollar transfer? He said, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, even like for $150. I said, what on earth is going on? He said, I don't know. I think the system for the dollar platforms, I think they're breaking. Right. V, I don't know. I'm going to try to, I'm going to pick your brain here. I'm hearing scuttlebutt grapevine talk i got it from two different colleagues that there is recently i mean just in the last two or three weeks there mm. is an, an, an uncommon amount of paper volume hitting london for comex transactions and it's causing more than a little bit of disorder and it might result in some seizures oh yeah here. i'm hearing the same thing i mean recently it was reported that the comex is there's some missing gold there that just went missing that it's unaccounted for they don't know where it went we know for a fact that the comex is linked up with certain depositories in the united states that's why i i, I don't know why anybody would vault anything in the u.s it's beyond me um, you know, vaulting with the Delaware Depository, they have two back-end books that they're, you know, they work with the Comex in order to, you know, move gold around. So absolutely, there's some missing, there, there is some shenanigans that is happening. There's no doubt about it, Jim. Okay, you, you address missing gold. I, I'm addressing 
an avalanche of paper that they cannot manage. Oh yes, yes. Okay, you mean the the the, the futures contracts? The futures contracts and and just the whole paper side. Yes, is getting out of control. We all yes. know. We all know that it's, they're uh, being deluged right now. Yeah. Okay. But let's try to make a two-part point here. We all know that for the last twenty years, the Comex has been ruined on the, the supply side with you know dumps of paper supply that's never matched by delivery to push down the paper price. Okay, I call that the supply side corruption. Paper, right. gold, and silver dumped to push down the price. In the last few months, the boys have set up a rather effective mechanism called exchange for physical, mm-hmm. where the deliveries are now faked in London. And the deliveries are like an order of magnitude greater than the vault contents. So that's your smoking gun. And now um, what, I, what I concluded was they, they, for the longest time, had the supply side covered. Now they have the demand side covered. And they're working to keep the gold price in a channel. Yeah. Let's just say like 1280 to 1370. Yep. Keep it in a channel. Make all the investors bored to death until they back out and get rid of all their gold investment. Okay, it's just not going to work. Now, what I what I said back then, a month ago, when I was learning more and more about the EFP, Exchange for Physical, to dominate and corrupt the physical delivery side, the, the demand side, is multiple points. This is all to capture and contain the price, but it's also to capture and contain the list of buyers. You don't want opportunists in there, like from Hong Kong or from Iran or some really smart Germans and Austrians coming in with their wealth, grabbing with lowball offers at, say, 1262 and, and marching off with tonnage of gold. They don't want that. So they manage not just the price, they manage the list of buyers. And my conclusion was, what they're going to do is they're going to contaminate from their control so completely this market that it's going to result in an abandonment of that market and a recognition and labeling internationally of that market as a corrupt arena that has no gold. So don't go there. Come to Shanghai. I think we're going to get blowback from the complete corruption now on the demand side, the delivery side, by a movement in a vast tsunami, positive tsunami, where the demand shows up in Shanghai and and they develop a very different pleasant problem. How are we going to supply and source all this demand? And I think Shanghai has cut a deal. This is an I think an astounding comment to make. I think Shanghai has cut a deal with the Vatican and the Basel bunch for supply. And why would they do that? Why would they make a deal with the devils? I mean, these are the real devil. These are the Satanist devils. Why would they make a deal with the devils in Vatican and Basel and Switzerland? I think because what they're going to try to do is manage the transition of the global reset. China is essentially saying to the Vatican, London, London is more like the errand boy for the Vatican and Basel. 
London carries out the executed deal. They carry out the orders. China is saying, we will allow for order in the transition because we do not want a hyper depression at the global level. That's my theory, V. Yeah, uh, Jim, this is CJ. And I, along those lines, I had a real quick question for you. Uh, recently, uh, Jim Rickards had the assertion that the quote-unquote axis of gold, Russia, Iran, Turkey, and China, could be the ground floor of not only a global move away from the reserve currency, the dollar, but also, as you had forecasted, the gold trade note. What are your thoughts on that? I, I have an opinion on Rickards, uh, and uh, it's, it's half... Half good, half bad. Um, but before I get to that, um, I want to just give a, a brief introduction on who Rickards is. <laughs> okay? Um, okay, please, yes. He was the gold counselor for the failed long-term capital management. He brokered the deal where the Bank of Italy supplied LTCM with Skulls and Meriwether, the gold. Bank of Italy supplied the gold. It was all a grand failure, and the Bank of Italy lost a substantial portion of their gold. Another broker in that deal was Prince Draghi, who was the finance minister for the Italian government at the time. They covered it all up. They made Draghi, for all his loyal work, the head of the Euro Central Bank. Italy now is bankrupt with insolvent banking system without sufficient gold to exit this crisis, and Jim Rickards is a favorite son, author, book writer, guest speaker on numerous shows when he should be in prison. Okay, that's Jim Rickards. He's one of the most arrogant SOBs I've ever seen on interviews. I know he's speaking because he's speaking in low tones and very, very quickly. Okay, <clears throat> he, in my opinion, Rickards half the time lies through his teeth about economic growth, about the prospect of the gold price, about, you know, viability of the U.S. Treasury complex and bonds. He lies through his teeth. Every once in a while, like half the time, he'll speak and say something extremely correct and intelligent, astute. If he's saying that the Eastern nations like Turkey, India, Iran, China, and Russia are going to be the axis of gold, I say, Jim, I agree with you completely. For once, you're not lying. For once, you're not covering your tracks for fraud on a grand scale for your past career. And he's writing books and making millions. I've got some of my own clients say, Jim, I, I only have about three respected people uh, uh, outside your newsletter, and, and Rickards is one of them. And by the time I'm, I've sent two or three different messages back and forth in the next hour, they say, oh, my gosh, I had no idea he was so corrupt. Right, so, you know, he, he fools a lot of people. Okay, the East is going to be a major center for gold trade. I expect that before long we're going to see the gold fix go away, and instead, it's going to be, <clears throat> pardon me, I don't know the name of what it's going to be. It's going to be like, you know, uh, the, the gold canvas. 
seven different centers across the world and here are their seven prices and here's the average and they and it's going to be a story like how much is the how much is the variance between the highest and the lowest and it, it might be sixty dollars i don't know uh, but we're going to see the gold fix go away. We're going to see the comics go away. We're going to see a, a gold canvas come into place. And uh, it's going to be an exciting time. We're hearing news now that Turkey is creating what they call the, the, the BRICS gold platform. Um, that's exciting because I think the Turks now have marching orders. The marching orders are, are very interesting. Uh, they're essentially saying to, to the Turk, Putin and the Kremlin are giving marching orders to the Turks. We'll continue to, pr to pressure you, uh, pr protect you, <clears throat> but you have to execute on our, um, our plan toward installing the various planks for the gold standard. Now the Turks have a thousand years of experience. The Turks know gold. The Turks were the center of the oil for gold trade between Iran and India. The Turks supplied the gold. The Indians bought it. They passed it on to the major banks of Iran who, who passed it on to the central bank and the Obama administration sanctions architects, those idiots, forgot to include large Iranian banks. So the large Iranian banks were the, the conduit for passing the Indian payments in gold to the Iranian central bank, which managed the payments for the oil trade. The Turks know gold. The, the Turks are very competent about gold. They've got reserves that they don't disclose. I'm amused by all the, the public articles about, you know, the official reserves. Oh, gosh, Russia increased by 200 tons this year. Yeah, and, and now they have not 1,500 tons, but they have 1,500 tons more than the 30,000 tons that they had before. Coos Jansen documents how the Chinese accumulated 25,000 tons of gold in the last 20, 25 years. You know, a thousand tons a year, 25 years. We talk about these official stats, like the IMF produces the official stats, and I, I mean, this this is stuff you print out and you use as toilet paper. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Jim, uh, please share any closing thoughts, and then obviously share how listeners can learn more about your work uh, on your website, please. Okay. It's www.goldenjackass.com. Um, it's been in place now since uh, the spring months of 2004. So it's now 14 years. I remember saying, well, I've got my 10-year anniversary. Now it's 14 years. It's been a, a long ride. Um, it's been, at times, a very enjoyable, challenging ride. Uh, in the last year or so, it, it's been less enjoyable because major forecasts are coming into being. They're correct. And the official gold price is stuck. That's a big frustration. And I'll tell you something. This is really important. 
the longer any asset price stays within a contained area, by the time it is released, the movement upward is explosive in proportion to the amount of time it was contained. And there's a chart pattern, it's called the rectangle. I mean, you got your, you know, uh, bearish wedge and head and shoulders reversal and, you know, cup and handle and uh, inverted triangles. You got all these. One of them is the basic rectangle. And you can make an argument that gold and silver are stuck in long-term rectangles for two, three, four, five years. The East is taking control of the gold market and the silver market. And we're going to see a move in price for both precious metals outside and above the managed rectangle. And because it's been so long in this containment, it's going to be explosive in the upward move. So you got goldenjackass.com, uh, the main web page. Uh, it's called Main 5, just the fifth version of the main page. It has a bunch of interviews like this with links. I try not to have repeat interviews unless there's a link provided. Uh, it has public articles. I'm working on one right now. And the title of it is Two, event, two Key Events Will Unleash Gold. Um, the voice told me that there are a couple of events that are on the horizon. He said, Jim, your, your Saudi uh, sales of oil in R&B terms to China, that, that, that's a no-brainer. That should not be a list of uh, potential events because it's already happening. But, uh, you know, like, like Deutsche Bank failing, we didn't get to that. Deutsche Bank is failing as Italy's banking system is failing, and they're going together. Okay, these are very important things. There's another very big important event coming, and that is the launch of the gold trade note. So public articles are on that web page. i, I got to say more. The gold trade note is going to sit atop the Shanghai gold, All, gold Oil RMB contract. It's going to change the financial world. It's going to mean that oil payments will be more and more executed for payments in the gold trade note with gold put up as equity, settlements done perhaps on a quarterly basis bilateral with two countries. Very exciting times. <clears throat> I've got still an 80% forecast correct rate. 80% of the forecasts are correct for the hat trick letter. Uh, we're waiting for the release of the gold and silver price and I think we might start seeing it this year. This is very powerful suppression. Uh, this is life or death. When gold starts going up, you can just start the countdown. If gold goes up like to 1700 uh, by Christmas, by end of the year, 1700 and silver goes up to, to 28, something like that, you can just start the countdown for when the United States has to announce and plan for the structure of a new dollar. Okay. I like mentioning two of my favorite compliments, CJ and V, uh, and now I've got a third. It's, I walked away from your newsletter two or three years ago, and now I'm back. I should never have left. I missed the content and the analysis and the forecast. The other one is, I relied on your free podcast for the longest time like, you know, a couple of years, and now finally out of curiosity, I signed up for your newsletter. I wish I'd signed up long ago. This is fascinating. And now I got a third one. 
I canceled. This is this happened three times this week, CJ. I don't have any time period where I can say that in the past. I canceled your newsletter just a few weeks ago. I'd like to reverse my cancel. <clears throat> Interesting. So that's, that's nice. That, that's nice. Absolutely. It's heartwarming. And uh, I think we're going to see the rest of the year turn quite positive for gold developments because the gold standard is coming more and more into view. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And Jim, I obviously I think we had confirmed a certain time, but if if you're willing, I mean, I'd be more than happy because I think it is important to talk about Deutsche Bank, to talk about the EU and the things that are happening there that potentially could serve as a trigger uh, to to potential co- collapse. Um, d- did you want to discuss that? Um, I I could. I mean, you mean right now? Yeah, keep, yeah. Keep extending. Or, yes, I, I'm I'm perfectly fine. Or if we wanted to schedule a part two, uh, but you know, if you have the time, then then I think that it's that important. We should discuss it. Um, it's it's extremely important. Sure, I, I'm willing to discuss it. All right, let's go for it. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> I've been putting, I have a list. I have a list of very important trigger events. A trigger toward release of gold, a trigger toward loss control by the cabal, a trigger toward what I call the systemic layman event. Because we fixed nothing. We fixed nothing in 2008. All we did was rinse and repeat on a broader scale that includes sovereign bonds. Most sovereign bonds now are subprime. I know that that's a startling statement to make. The U.S. government has 1.2, 1.4 trillion dollars in debt. We got trade deficits to make it all worse. We got an absence of buyers. We have an eco- economy stuck in recession. Just today, I got word from shadow government statistics through a, a client that the actual 1980s formula for the consumer price index shows the United States at 10% price inflation. So when we call it two, we get an error of 8%. The gross domestic product, our economic growth rate, we claim as one and a half or two, subtract 8%. And we're looking at minus 5%. We're talking about powerful five, six, four and five and 6% annual recessions every single stinking year for 11 years. Okay. Back to Deutsche Bank. <clears throat> Deutsche Bank has some hidden distinctions, not well understood or, or uh, commonly discussed. In 1998, they were forced to buy Bankers Trust. That was the Fed's private bank for handling derivatives. But when the watchful eyes of regulators started to invade their ranks and offices too much. They decided, let's outsource the derivative bank and force it on Deutsche Bank, where it'd be out of regulatory purview. And it really never got proper purview until BaFin, it's kind of like the SEC and the CFTC combined and the FDIC combined in Germany. It's like a a large group of uh, auditors and monitors in Germany. They took a look at it a couple of years ago or three years ago, and they were aghast at what they saw in the derivative book hidden all along in Deutsche Bank, where they amplified the volume because they earned big fees. 
Deutsche Bank has another distinction as being the final resting place for the Arab gold that was not stolen in Switzerland using the cover of the UBS and Credit Suisse crime that the U.S. government came in and prosecuted. And the Swiss permitted because they shared in the stolen Arab gold. The Saudi gold, whatever's left, is now sitting in Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank is also the, the receiver of a rather substantial investment by Qatar. And it's not going well. Oh, man, oh, man. I, I have had... <clears throat> Pardon me. I have had Deutsche Bank on the list for the longest time as a trigger event for chaos, gold release, whatever. I have also had the Italian banking system on trigger watch for the last two years or more. Italy is the only place where they've done severe bondholder haircuts. In other words, they lose money on their bonds for the banks. Bank, financial, corporate bonds. Uh, it's a corporate bond for a financial institution called a bank. Okay, only the Italians have done serious haircuts. Only the Italians have come up with a different alternative sovereign currency concept, subject to devaluation, useful to handle tax payments, useful to cover Italian deficits at the government level. level. You've also got bank runs in Italy, unlike many other European countries. So Italy stands out. So does Deutsche Bank. And what's not in the news much is that Deutsche Bank holds a good deal of Italian government debt. The German banks generally hold a good deal of Italian government debt. They've been trying to move it off from their balance sheets to the Euro Central Bank. And I don't know what level of success. I think only a small portion of the German banks have shoveled off their toxic Italian debt, which is way overpriced, way overvalued, because unlike in the past when it was near like 8% for the 10-year, it's now closer to 1% and 2% for the 10-year, based on significant, substantial purchases of the toxic paper by the Euro Central Bank. My theory is simple. Watch the stock price for Deutsche Bank and watch their credit default swap, which is the insurance policy on the Deutsche Bank corporate bond. That was your telltale signal that Lehman was gonna die. And it's worth watching again, because it's insiders that use it to protect their Deutsche Bank bonds. Insiders used it to protect themselves 10 years ago with the Lehman bonds. I noticed a year before Lehman died that their CDS swap was rising for Lehman. I noticed six months, four months before Lehman died, that their CDS was rising. And I made a call in early 2008 that Lehman was going to be killed or die. Okay, I expect Deutsche Bank to be the new Lehman. And it's not going to be containable because it's so much bigger. And when Deutsche Bank goes down, they call it D-Bank. When D-Bank goes down, I think it'll be a coincident event that the Italian banking system enters failure and bank runs, suicides over lost money, 
Bond haircuts, uh, announcement of uh, severing ties with the European Union, uh, and a launch and a planned structure for the new lira. It's going to come out of their sovereign, clever currency. Very exciting times. Deutsche Bank and Italian banking system are going to go down together. The Italians are defiant. I don't know how many people know Italians in their lives, but I've had a few best friends who are Italian. They all have the Z's and the, the vowel at the end. <laughs> they're, they're colorful people, and we always used to joke. They say, Jim, they would say to me, Jim, you're, you're kind of like an Italian. I said, I know, I'm Irish. And I said, oh, so the Irish are like Italian. I said, yeah, we're emotional. We're a bit nutty. Okay. So the Italians are saying publicly in the last two years, we're not going to let the Germans do to us what they did to Greece. We're not going to tolerate austerity plans for the budget. We're not going to... We're not going to allow uh, our jewel country companies, our iconic companies to be bought off by the Germans and by the Chinese to bring about cash. We're not going to allow a huge recession to take place. We're not going to allow the 20% unemployment. We're not going to allow them to destroy us as an Italian country like they did Greece. And that's why you have all this five-star movement and uh, the, the various fringe candidates forming a coalition and working hard to bring about change and defying Brussels. My gosh, the Italians aren't the only ones defying Brussels. The French are with the big uh, St. Pete economic deals with Russia. The Germans are with their Gazprom deal to, to construct and complete the, net, the Nord Stream 2. Wow, everybody's defying Brussels and the EU fascist commissioners. These are dictators. They're not elected. They don't care what parliaments think. They just issue new orders. <clears throat> anyway, uh, in a closing remark, I heard a, a funny joke that uh, the elite globalists in the West, they do believe in God. They do believe in backing their entire financial strategies in God. Gold oil, and drugs. <laughs> so true. Jim, thank you so much for a wonderful interview. Uh, I really appreciate your time today. For our fans listening in, please make sure to subscribe. Please make sure to share uh, this interview. It's just so important right now uh, to get the truth of what is truly happening geopolitically. So, Jim, thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's it's always fun and good to have V involved too. Very good. Take care, everyone, and stay safe. Thank you, Jim. All right. Bye now.